Welcome, everyone, to today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult. My name is Philip King Lowe, your host, and I am an autistic adult. Please visit my website, todaysautisticmoment.com. A reminder that today's autistic moment in my web address is all one word with no apostrophe between Y and S. When you go to my website, go all the way to the far upper right corner and tap on the hamburger menu. Look for podcast information, then tap or click new podcast episodes. Scroll down to my new subscription offer. You can now subscribe by entering your email address. Your subscription will allow you to receive newly published episodes and other podcast news to your personal email inbox. I have an important announcement to make regarding my email addresses. I have discontinued using my original email address, todaysautisticmoment at outlook.com, as well as todaysautisticmomentmn at outlook.com because of technical difficulties that cannot be resolved. If you have sent me email to that address, I am unable to receive or respond to them. Please send all emails from this point on to P-K-L-O-W-E at todaysautisticmoment.com. Thank you for your cooperation. You can also follow Today's Autistic Moment on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This first segment of Today's Autistic Moment is sponsored by the Autism Society of Minnesota, Minnesota's first autism resource. The Autism Society of Minnesota is celebrating 50 years of serving Minnesota's autism community. Visit them online at AUSM.org. While great strides have been made for autistic individuals and others with various disabilities through the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the neurological research about autism, there remains one social stigma, ableism. Ableism comes through conversations with what seems like harmless microaggression between disabled individuals and others. Many autistic adults deal with the stigma of ableism by the use of labels such as high-functioning or low-functioning forms of autism. If an autistic individual is said to be, quote, high-functioning, end of quote, they are believed to not have autism or any kind of disability at all. It is not uncommon for us autistic adults to hear words such as, you don't look autistic enough. Autistic individuals who have higher support needs are often labeled as, quote, low-functioning and are presumed incompetent. The attitudes of ableism suggest that such individuals are supposed to be institutionalized 
to get them out of our way of the, quote, normal majority, end of quote. These are only a few examples of how ableism can impact autistic adults and others with various disabilities. My very special guest today is Sue Swenson. Sue Swenson was the Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services in the Obama administration. Sue's advocacy on behalf of disabled individuals, including but not limited to autistic adults, is an example of the kind of advocacy we need so desperately. Sue has experienced ableism as the parent of an autistic son named Charlie, who sadly passed away, who also had multiple disabilities. Sue's compassion helps her communicate her expertise with advice that is clear to the point and respectful. I know you will appreciate the information Sue Swenson shares with us in this podcast episode. I want to inform my listeners that my interviews are recorded through a conversation with my guest through Zoom. I do my best to edit the recordings carefully to deliver the best quality sound possible. However, due to the unpredictability of the internet, I am not always able to produce a completely noise-free sound. You may hear some of those sounds in this recording. You will also discover with this particular interview that you will need to increase your volume to hear me in my conversation with Sue Swenson more clearly. You will then need to decrease your volume when my own voice recording is heard. Please accept my apologies in advance for how these sounds might affect your auditory sensory processing. Thank you for your patience, understanding, and accommodation. And now I present to you my conversation with Sue Swenson as we talk about autistic adults and ableism. When we think of ableism for autistic adults, what information um, should autistic adults and our caregivers need to know about when it comes to ableism? So really interesting question, Philip. And um, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. If I knew it, maybe I would be making a lot more money than I am making. Um, I think for any parent uh, and any person with a disability, I think understanding human rights is really important. And um, I think in the United States, we have a limited uh, understanding of human rights. Mm. We tend to limit human rights to civil rights and political rights. Those are the ones that are in our constitution, which is the oldest democracy in the world now (coughs) and the oldest constitution of a democracy. So you can expect that our principles are perhaps a little bit out of date beyond civil rights, which is the right to sue the government if it takes something from you and uh, political rights, which are the rights to gather and 
and protest and redress and ask for a redress of grievances. Um, beyond those, there are social and economic rights and cultural rights and dignity. And I think those give us ways to think about how does ableism impact people negatively. Exactly. So, Social and economic rights is, do you have the right to be part of a family and part of a community? Do you have the right to have a job? Do you have the right to have um, social protection and economic support if you can't have a job? What is the mix of those things? I mean, I know that ableism comes in there. Some people say, well, if you can work, then you don't have a disability. And right. Other people say, well, no matter what disability you have, you should be able to work. And it's just not true that all people with a disability can support themselves, certainly not with their, whatever their support needs are. My son, Charlie had a, a boatload of disabilities and there's no way he could make a little money in his life, but there's no way he could have made enough money to pay for the 24 seven supports that he needed just to survive yeah safe and then beyond social and economic rights there are cultural rights and dignity cultural rights really should be understood as the right to benefit equally from all of the advances of your culture absolutely so it's not just the right to have your culture recognized if you come from a different country certainly that's part of it but it's also the right if there's fantastic new um, advances in the internet, you have a right to be able to participate in that along with everyone else. Right. And we do a terrible job of recognizing cultural rights, I think, in the United States. There are a lot of people who are just left out right. of enormous cultural advances, healthcare being one, um, technology being another. And then dignity, I think, is where ableism really comes into play. Absolutely. I mean, I think as a person with a disability, you probably have that experience of someone thinks they have a right to question you. I have had so many encounters uh, about with jobs and other things because I am autistic, even before I knew that I was autistic, which I am celebrating 10 years ago this year that I was diagnosed. Um, wow. And before that, I lived 42 years just going from job to job, relationship to relationship, friendship to friendship, one thing after another, with people saying, I just don't understand why you have such difficulties getting along with certain people and why you can't just, you know, you know collaborate with everybody. We just don't understand that. And honestly, before I was diagnosed, I did not understand that. Right. I just assumed that, you know, maybe I'm well, it's worth too good at what I do, and people just don't understand my particular type of job or whatever. Yeah. But once I was diagnosed with autism, then I understood why those things were occurring. And I also began to understand how cruel those experiences were to me. And um, I anticipate that this is so for many autistic adults, it really takes a lifetime of, of therapy, 
both um, psychological and some kind of um, occupational therapy in some cases, rehabilitation of our vocations, that kind of therapy as you will. Well, just to get, get the alternative accommodations, yeah. right. And to get beyond the wounds that those things leave. It, 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 you know, I don't think that disability injuries ever really completely leave disabled individuals because, because of ableism. Um, um, oh, um, it was once explained to me that ableism is microaggression. Mm -hmm. Because ableism is not always apparent. Mm -hmm. It's not always like blatant. It's damage often, of it isn't always clear. Yes. Right. It is often implied by uh, simple things such as um, the lights are on and they're bright, but sorry, they can't be turned down because that's just the way they are, even if it happens to be affecting an autistic adult with uh, visual sensory processing issues. Right. Okay. The responses to such things, including, you know, why can't you just behave better? You know, um, and I, you know, these are things that are said constantly all the time. Um, you know, why are you so difficult to get along with? You know, there is ableism in such words because there's this um, assumption, presumption, however you want to say it, that um, there is a normalcy in how people behave. And if one cannot behave in those ways, then as we you know, as they say, something is quote wrong with somebody. Um, it's not to be accepted, it is not to be tolerated. And that's where I believe a lot of the ableism comes from. Um, really hard for families too. Yes, exactly. So exactly. My son Charlie was never diagnosed with autism in his life because at the time that he was diagnosed, he was given a, a label of autistic characteristics. Oh dear. That time in the world, if you had anything organically identifiable that was wrong or different, then you couldn't be said to have autism. So right. if you had Down syndrome, you didn't have autism. Charlie had muscular dystrophy with a poor encephaly. So wow. his brain scan looked different and therefore he couldn't have autism. Oh uh, he had a lot of behaviors that were classic autistic behaviors and um, it's hard for families they sometimes now even big organizations will tell families oh your child has autism you might as well give up hope you know your life is over as a normal family and your your child will never this they'll never that they'll never the other thing yeah that's one of those i reasons. at least didn't have that right <laughs> That's a reason why um, uh, my listeners go to my website, todaysautisticmoment.com, and then go to my list of do's and don'ts. Oh, um, I, I have quite the list there for that. And it's in my introductory episode, but I made it very clear that I don't accept the use of high functioning and low functioning labels for <sighs> autistic people. And I also don't accept words like mild or severe forms of autism. Right. And um, 
And I mean, well, again, kind of, yeah. The heart of of ableism, isn't it? Exactly. Like, well, you have autism, but you can still do this and this and this. Exactly. That's why I say, it, you know, in explaining that those do's and don'ts, that when an autistic person is labeled as high functioning, the expectations upon us are too high. And often the, our challenges get set aside is that they must not actually exist. They're in, somehow they're in our minds that they're actually there at all, you know? Um, and right, when, or how can you be high functioning and not be a savant? What's exactly. your special skill? <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. And then the opposite is also true in terms of when, a, when an autistic person is labeled as low functioning, there is such a, a damaging effect of that person being labeled as um, um, incompetent, yep. you know, a, a presumption of incompetence. Yep. And we both know that that presumption is cruel and devastating mm -hmm. for both the autistic individual and their caregivers. And um, there's a lot of space, I think, for thinking about or questioning how do multiple disabilities come into play? Mm -hmm. So if you have limitations in activities of daily living in multiple places or instrumental right. activities of daily living, how is that different for somebody who has one? Exactly. And um, it is really different. Yeah. It affects how technology works for you. It affects how accommodations work for you. Yes. It affects all kinds of other stuff. So, uh, but ableism is so built into the system I mean, it's like racism, right? If you grew up in the United States of America, you have to assume that you were educated or acculturated to be a racist. Right. And I also like to think about the fact that um, um, many of us autistic adults and others with, with various disabilities, and the fact is, is that many of us who are autistic adults have multiple disabilities of, of various kinds. Uh, one of them is, of course, there's mental illness for many of us. Yep. There's motor issues for some of us. Um, and sensory processing disorder is, huh, it's a part of being autistic, but it's actually something somewhat separate from because it's a different, quote, disorder. Uh, you know, and by the way, I hate that word disorder. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the thing of it is, um, after this commercial break, I will continue with my interview with Sue Swenson as we talk about autistic adults and ableism. Stay tuned. Support for today's Autistic Moment comes from Best Care Home Care Agency. Best Care offers PCA choice, homemaking, and 245D services throughout the metro and greater Minnesota. Visit their website, bestcaremn.com, to learn more about their services. Looking for a new t-shirt made of more comfortable material? If so, I have great news. Coming over the next week, 
a shopping link will be added to today's Autistic Moment logo store you can find on today's Autistic Moments website. You will be able to look through some options for t-shirts with today's Autistic Moment logo on them. The material has been carefully selected to be more comfortable for those with censoring processing sensitivities. The tags are removable to make them extra comfortable. Thank you for your support of today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult. Support comes from Minnesota Independence College and Community, a life and career skills program for young adults with autism and learning differences. Help a young adult take a step towards their independence and a vibrant life. Learn more at micommunity.org. Welcome back to today's Autistic Moment. And now let us continue with my interview conversation with Sue Swenson as we talk about autistic adults and ableism. When we think of disabilities and especially autism, there is this, um, there is this expectation that someone will just learn how to behave better and if they don't, something's wrong. <laughs> or they're just being um, obtuse or they don't really want to learn. So exactly. they're exactly. You know, they're being antisocial or, you know, it, it occurs to me that the way to address this probably is exactly what you're doing. Yeah. It's bringing the voice of autistic people into public. So the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, um, yeah. awesome the Autistic Society of America, bringing the voice in to explain, well, here's what our experience is. Exactly. Now, I only challenge you, and I think this is a tough one, I challenge you to avoid protecting people who are autistic by slamming people who have intellectual disabilities. Right. And I don't think you would do that. I haven't heard that from you at all, but no. I think it's another challenge with autistic advocacy is many times they think that the way to push themselves up is to find somebody else to look down on and mm. that just doesn't really work um, no and how many times have I heard a person with a wheelchair say oh I use a wheelchair but I'm not the r word or yeah you know I'm deaf but I can think fine my brain is fine well you know that's just another kind of ableism and just because yeah. it comes from a disabled person doesn't make it right. Yeah, and you see what I think is also is that uh, for, for autistic adults and others with disability, internalized ableism within ourselves is an yeah. unavoidable consequence. And painful, oh and my painful. God. Very painful, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, I find it difficult and there may be other, others who find it difficult that to not have some kind of high expectation upon myself to be different than what I am. And then coming to that place where we accept that as it is, 
seems to be a, a, a long journey for many of us. Um, that uh, because of the, the messages we're sent um, and the things that are happening in schools and colleges and employment, among all things. Well, and even, um, so even among nerds, who I think there's a pretty high uh, incidence of autism mm. among Star Trek fans, for example. <laughs> then you've got William Shatner out there saying those crazy things that he's saying about how if you don't do ABA, then you're a savage. I mean, oh dear. this well, is just, that one. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And it, it, I mean, it, it's a gut punch, I think, to a lot of people who have found a way to participate in society through fantasy or Star Trek or technology or yeah. other things. And then when, when those people are thoughtless, it is really difficult. It makes it really, Very. really difficult. Yeah. Not that you can expect everyone in the world to be a hero. Right. But, but let me ask you a question. So what do sure. you think in your do's and don'ts if one experiences what one thinks is ableism or is hurt by it, what's a good thing to do? How do you respond? That's a very good question um, that I don't mind answering. Um, I think it is very important to have someone, a therapist or someone in one's life that um, does not view us negatively. Yep. Um, and to be able to share those things with that individual and have them give us their, um, their insight to that sort of thing. Um, I don't mind saying that in my own therapy, one of those things that I have been working on is um, learning to think more positively of myself as an autistic individual. Mm -hmm. Because of the negativism we receive all the time. Yeah. And I know that- it away. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so what I've done in my therapy work that has really brought me actually to this point of doing this podcast is, you know, my, my own therapist has commented that I've come a long way from this thinking of myself as, and I'll be quite frank, a social invalid to being who can accomplish things, even if it is on your own level, even if it is just for yourself, you can accomplish things and you can do good through them. Yeah. But it takes a journey and, and my, my um, I, I say this a lot, when I do my own presentations and, and on the show, my listeners will hear this many times, so be prepared. But I've always said that one of the most important things that autistic people can do for themselves is to become the expert about our own brand, make and model of autism. And then to also enter into a journey of becoming the expert about explaining to other people what being autistic means for them, you know? And that's, that's where ableism does a lot of its own damage because I feel that um, the more negative messages we receive, the more difficult it is to get to know and to become the expert 
of our autistic selves and become the expert at talking about our autistic self because there are all of these negative connotations. So that is my response to your question. Yeah, that's great. With this conversation, we're already crossing into my second question, but we can continue with it, of course. Okay, no, go ahead. Is, no, which is uh, what are the barriers for autistic adults of all ages with regards to ableism? And that's exactly actually where we've been, um, which is fine. That's good that yeah. we're there. Uh, but one topic that I have had discussions about with various people because you were just talking about identification mm -hmm. and um, let's be equally blunt here. The terms that we use, including things like autistic spectrum disorder, autistic individual, person with autism, and diagnosis of autism, diagnosis of autism <laughs> all of these things are really not to the benefit of the autistic individual. They're really more for that for the benefit of the society to classify <laughs> yep. as to you know exactly um, where we fit, and um, you know um, my own therapist has on various occasions remarked that if you take a look at where um, the psychological community goes every ten years, they come up with a new term because the old term was bad and and referred to people in a negative way. And so now we invent this new term that goes only for so long, then they'll go to the next 10 Sometimes years. it's 50 years, sometimes yeah. it's 60 years, sometimes yeah. it's 10 years. Yeah, you know, um, I personally, and I know there are those on those autistic adults who don't share my view on this, but I think that it is a good thing actually that the new DSM came and said, we no longer have, you know, you know, Asperger's, and then we have, uh, you know, pervasive developmental disorder over here. Everybody is part of the autistic spectrum. I feel very comfortable with that because it means that, you know, I'm not separate from the autistic community. I am part of it. Because mm -hmm. for me, that word Asperger's said I was outside of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. That's, but I know better than some, somehow. Yeah. yeah. But others have had the experience that they feel like, well, my, my my label has been taken from me because this is what me what made me feel a little more comfortable than saying I'm autistic. That's where our neurodiversity often lies. Yeah. But you know, a lot of the these thing is once you're talking about accommodations, it's always you always need to focus on the person. Exactly. And yes. so the label not so useful. No, but you know, but at the same time, what happens is that um, and one of those barriers is, is the, as I really spoke of, is the journey one has to go on, uh, not has to, but, but it's wise to go on that journey, I'll say this, um, to, to develop some kind of positive image of oneself uh, because of how, how being autistic is, is labeled. Um, mm -hmm. And how that that's often portrayed. So um, you know, when we talk about the barriers for autistic adults when it comes to ableism, the labels play a really a really essential role in that. But um, 
there's also one of those barriers is 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 helping um, others around us to try to make that journey from feeling oh so sorry for us and like they must do something to make our dates better or <laughs> that sort yeah. of thing you know um here at I'm least gonna... get you out of our view somewhere <laughs> exactly exactly you know and one of those things actually comes in in in, in the um, face mask i shall say of very good well mean intentions um now um to get to this one, I'm going to share a little bit of something about myself. I use the wheelchair because I have um, I have chronic back pain because of a uh, disc protrusion in my back, and and the wheelchair helps me to go longer distances somewhere. Well, one day I, I chuckle at this. this um, I was going into a Best Buy. And I had gotten, I was in my wheelchair and I had gotten myself past the first threshold. I was having some difficulty getting myself through the second. And suddenly, without even um, being completely aware of it, though, my wheelchair moved very smoothly through that threshold. And I discovered that the reason it happened was because whomever was behind me just took it upon himself to put his hands on the, on the, Bars of my wheelchair and pushed me on through. Yeah. And he wanted you to thank him. <laughs> Which I did, but I also thought to myself, well, yes, that was nice in a way, but it would have been nice if you had asked me first. Yep. You know, and so, um, you know, this is where when I, you know, um, maybe you can talk more about this, but. I think one of the barriers for autistic adults when it comes to ableism is not giving us the choices to say what we would like. Right. That's and a I, key piece of accommodation is it has to be the accommodation that works for you and the one of your choice. It's exactly. not, oh, here the system is telling you, ah, here's how we're going to accommodate you. That's not exactly. an accommodation. Right. Yeah, because you know, those accommodations, you know, the question becomes, Who's listening to what accommodations we think we need? After this commercial break, I will continue with my interview with Sue Swenson as we talk about autistic adults and ableism. Stay tuned. Life be great if everything fell in place. Sometimes our lives need a little rearranging. One of the most challenging times is when we experience a major transition, such as job exploration, moving to a new place, or simply when you are defining your path in life. During these challenging times, individuals can feel like there's a great river between you and where you want to go. Looking Forward Life Coaching helps carve a path to the destination that's right for you. Then lay the stepping stones so you can accomplish your goals. Visit us at lookingforwardlc.org for more information. Hi, everyone. This is Philip. 
Here is an update about future shows. My next episode will be published on February 22nd. The topic is Aging Autistic Adults and What We Needed Yesterday. My guest is Dr. Teresa Regan, a neuropsychologist and certified autism specialist. Dr. Regan is the author of the book, Understanding Autism in Adults and Aging Adults. Listen in on our conversation about the physical, mental, and neurological challenges as autistic adults age into our senior years. Dr. Regan mentions the issues such as the misdiagnosis of illnesses like dementia that really is autism. Dr. Regan mentions the challenges with communicating what autistic adults need in terms of health care and how we advocate for ourselves because of the lack of information available. Whatever your age is, listen in to this important episode. Coming in March, Autistic Adults, our own brand, make, and model, my good friend Robin DeCourcy will join me as we talk about neurodiversity among autistic adults. Other shows upcoming will be about autistic women, autism acceptance, and autistic adults and social narratives. For more information about today's autistic moment, go to todaysautisticmoment.com. Also a reminder to please email me only at p-k-l-o-w-e at todaysautisticmoment.com. You can also follow Today's Autistic Moment on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome back to this final segment of this episode of today's Autistic Moment in my interview with Sue Swenson as we talk about autistic adults and ableism. I want to give you a heads up that this final segment may go a little bit longer than usual because Sue supplied us with so much wonderful information that it was worth giving some additional time to hear. If this recording for some seems a little bit long, I invite you to stop where you feel comfortable and later on come back to the episode to finish listening. And now let us return to my conversation with Sue Swenson. Dignity. So part of it is the reason, one of the reasons I'm such a strong proponent of inclusive education is I think these are things that children should learn when they're little. Right. No, you always ask somebody before you touch their wheelchair. No, you always, you know, you, if a person obviously needs help, you can say, can I help you? They're free to say, no, why would I want help from you? They're free to say, whatever they want to say, if they don't have to take your help. And that's, I mean, maybe it's not help. (laughs) It's only help if you think it's help. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. 
another experience that I had in my wheelchair one day is I was outside the restroom door and I was just sitting there waiting for whomever was in there to finish and come out. And I was just sitting there and there was this one gentleman who walked past me and said, if I didn't have my hands full, I would help you. <laughs> and I was like, um, how did my sitting here just waiting for somebody to come out of right. a restroom and dictate to you that I probably needed your help? Um, and this right. is where, again, autistic adults, especially since many of us, not to, you know, not to generalize too much, we have difficulties asking mm -hmm. for help. Mm -hmm. Because of the times when we have asked for help, people say no, or the response is, why do you need that help, or that sort of thing. Or charity or pity, which is worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you poor guy, let me see if I can figure out what you need. Exactly. No, I just no. need you to do this one thing. Yeah, as autistic adults, our barriers are, you know, especially those of us who have been diagnosed, you know, after the ages of 18 and 21, uh, you know, learning those skills about how to ask for help. I mean, I mean, I mean, what are those, you know? That's really important. It is, yeah. it is. Which, um, and it's okay that we're, we're branching into the third question, which is, you know, what steps do autistic adults and our supporters need to take to advocate for our needs when it comes to ableism. Um, and, and this is where many people who, many of the autistic adults, I've heard it said, I have asked somebody to help me with something before and they just didn't seem to understand me. I hear that all the time, I experience that all the time. Wow. So what are some ways that you might suggest that maybe we might do some self-advocating there? Yeah. Uh I mean, the first thing I think of is you have to network with each other and begin to find the patterns and think about, you know, what could be said to people in general that would, um, that would be, I don't want to say be appropriate because who cares if it's appropriate. I was trained <laughs> by Ed Roberts. Ed Roberts was the father of the independent living movement. Ed was, um, how shall I put this? He was not particularly interested in keeping everybody else in the world happy. Right. And, um, you know, he would just say, take your hands off my wheelchair. Right. Yeah. Or the first night he used to do this, he was in partners in policymaking. He was a professor in the class faculty in Minnesota. He came every year. I was, there in the class and every year he would pick people to sit next to him at dinner time, and then he would send his assistant away and scary you're sitting next to this guy ed uh used a respirator so he had his air in his mouth he couldn't pick up a spoon or a fork so you he would want you to feed him and so he would say well why don't you give me a bite of that chicken and you'd have to know enough to say, well, how big of a bite do you want? <laughs> you know, and um, give me some direction here. And then he would spit out his air and you would put the chicken in his mouth and he would chew it up. And I saw him do this dozens of times and he did it to me. And then he would swallow the chicken and then he would say, what are you trying to do, kill me? And he'd say, what? And he'd say, you got to give me my air back. It was like, 
oh, right, <laughs> you know, yeah. but that whole, um, how to get comfortable with taking direction and understanding that the disabled person knows better than you do what they need and want yeah. in their life, in the moment, on the street, whatever, in a transaction, they can tell you what they need. That's pretty high level social learning in my experience. Yeah. And, yeah, and autistic um, adults, we, we have those challenges with those social interactions um, with that there. And you can't always just make a joke and say, what are you no. trying to do, kill me? No. <laughs> no. no. But I think you were very wise before when you said it's important to have a therapist. And I think if not a therapist, a network of people that you trust who you can talk with on a regular basis. Yeah, and that's been one of the real devastations of COVID-19. Right. Um, Olivia Doesn't spoke of that in our episode about COVID-19, where a lot of our social supportive networks are either gone or, 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 or damaged beyond repair for some of us. Yeah, uh, and I have friends on Facebook who are really just losing it yeah. under the impact of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, but, I, I, but what I wanted to say yeah. is I think your idea of taking it to your therapist and processing it or taking it to your friends and processing it. That's a real Minnesota idea. And it's a, it's a way to preserve the social order instead of teaching you to do what Ed taught us to do, which is just to turn to someone and say, bug off. You know, um, that might work in California, but it's not going to work in Minnesota so well. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm not sure that it isn't more sophisticated to do what you're doing, which isn't to say, just swallow it, swallow the pain or swallow the indignity and go talk to your therapist about it. But if you're really processing it with other people, then you will begin to develop um, a response that you can trust and that you, right. that you know you really thought through. So I think yeah. Good advice. I used to have a group. There were four of us who were mothers. I lived on the west side of Lake Harriet in Minneapolis and back a block. And uh, every Saturday morning, we would meet down at the dock at, I think it was nine o'clock in the morning or something, or eight o'clock. We'd go walk around the lake. It's about three and a half miles around. We, all four of us were the mothers of young men with disabilities. And um, I can't tell you how helpful that was. Yeah. How, uh, how we thought and processed and realized the commonalities and you begin to realize that you didn't do anything to cause that person to be rude to you. It's just out there, there's rude people and they don't yeah. know what to say and they were rude to to my friend and they were rude to me and, and it wasn't even the same person. It's just rudeness out there. And that's really important to begin to realize it's not your fault. It's not something you've done to invite ableism into your life. It's just there. <laughs> and now you there. have to figure out how am I gonna to respond to it? And right. having friends to help you think that through, I think is really helpful. Right, yeah. And, and often for a lot of us, uh, you know, one of the, the barriers to self-advocacy 
is learning how to communicate our self-advocacy. Um, yeah. And that's why I, I returned to what I said earlier about becoming the expert about knowing your autism, because knowing your own autism also knows where your limits and where, you know, learning about how you cope with day-to-day -day things. Um, but that's also, that's part of self-care, but that's also a very important part of self-advocacy. Yeah. Um, because when you know that your, your autism affects you in a particular way, you can learn how to respond to that or work with it to make it your strength rather than let it be your, your you know, defeating power. Um, we don't need to, well, it's worth talking about the fact that we have one of the most incredible autistic girls in the world right now shaking up the planet over climate change because she has found that way to use her autism to be her power, as she says, her superpower. And um, I think that's a, that was such a great moment for me to hear somebody say that, yep. that to see being autistic, it's our power, it's not our deficit. Again, why I hate those words, disorders and deficits, but um, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. that in and of itself is part of the ableism as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that's where a lot of that comes from. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, I think conversations, those, though, yeah. I think you're advancing the goals by having conversations and inviting other people to participate or listen or exactly. You know, Greta Thunberg had a mother who thought that her daughter was disappearing into her autism and right. encouraged her in the advocacy. And she is. Yes, she had to develop her self-advocacy skills, but she also had to develop exquisite political advocacy skills. Absolutely. I mean, the girl is a genius at getting people to pay attention to something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because she, she's persistent, because she yeah. pays attention, because all of the other becauses. Um, yeah. And as she says, there are many other young people in the world who are doing the same things that she's doing but yeah see that's one of those conversations we can have as we begin to wrap this up because um us autistics were given these special interests for a reason i do believe that huh. um and that's where my developing this podcast comes from my my passion my to put it my autistic passion is autistic adults and part of beginning this podcast was how do I take this passion and turn it into something that can actually make a difference, mm -hmm. you know? And so when it comes to working to, to um, dismantle ableism, that's one of those things that I think is very important is to recognize where our strengths and our interests are and use them to, dis, to dismantle ableism. What do you think of that? Philip, I think it's really important to use words like dismantle ableism, because if you talk to autistic adults about just how to get through their day or get through their life with the least problems, they probably won't be dismantling anything. They might even be trying to pass as not having autism so that they don't 
they don't bring that stigma of being an autistic person into into their life they think the way to escape ableism is to not be autistic and if you can pass then you can escape ableism but you're not it's then you're allowing ableism to reign in your life you're allowing ableism to be the organizing principle of what you're doing and it's much better to be honest i'm autistic to be honest about that and then to address ableism where you see it uh ableism is not the only ism so and ableism doesn't only affect autistic people it affects people with intellectual disabilities psychosocial disabilities all kinds of physical sensory everything else absolutely and racism is um coming to the fore and equally toxic and equally embedded in our society and the way we think it might be good if you can find a way to think more my experience as an autistic how does that connect to other people's experience as a as a uh, you know an underrepresented racial group or exactly uh, people and genderism was big when I was a little kid there were things girls couldn't do and yeah right and that, they're still yeah. as we see we had a new vice president yesterday and there were still people talking about what clothes she was wearing and right so yeah. that whole idea of feminism being an equality is is missing right I think equality is an interesting topic here too, though. And absolutely, because what you re- there are two ways to look at equality. One is you're the same in your rights as everybody else, mm-hmm. or the same in your characteristics or something else. But the other is thinking about being equal to the opportunities and challenges that your life presents. Yes. So more. For- inside out how can i be equal to this exactly equal to myself (laughs) right instead of equal to everyone else and i think that there's there's room for some thought in there and i i really would love to see what you came to with that after you kicked it around for a while um yeah well i also think of the word equity which is also the word by which we're not only um equality but we're also providing the tools you know i'd like to provide some way so that you know autistic people can reach for the same goals as anybody else without or their own which may be more or less or whatever you know i mean as we know uh, our neurodiversity says that um you know each autistic person can do different things and uh, we know of autistics who have been incredible uh, in building businesses or even, you know, uh, one, uh, I believe Bill Clinton is autistic. Or I've really? heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe I've heard that. You know, but the point is there, just because he can become, he say he is, he can become a president, that doesn't mean somebody else has to, to be contributing well to, right. to, to the world. 
but there are things that even uh, somebody, someone else on the spectrum can do. Um, we have two amazing individuals in our artistic community here um, who use AAC devices to communicate, but this brother and sister, they're actually working on trying to ad address the issue of housing for autistic people in this state. And what a wonderful thing for them to be doing. Um, you know, Especially again, if it's not segregated or controlled or programmatic. Yeah, exactly, or, yeah. exactly. It's hard to think about where we would be without autistic people in this world. That's right, that's right. Um, many great works of art, many great works of philosophy, many great works of all kinds of science. Yeah. Yeah, if the person had been told, oh, you're not qualified because you have these social limitations or you have this something. Thank you to Sue Swenson for being on my show today. I have learned a great deal from her and I hope you have too. And now for today's Autistic Community Bulletin Board. The Minnesota Council on Disability invites autistic adults and caregivers to participate in a virtual disability advocacy day at the state capitol on Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. This is your opportunity to meet with your state legislators to talk with them about the issues impacting you and those you care about. There is no cost to attend. Go to disability.state.mn.us and click on events to register. The following events are offered by the Autism Society of Minnesota. Please go to AUSM.org for more information and to register. Understanding Autism and Best Strategic Practices Learn Common Characteristics of Individuals with Autism and Sensory Processing Disorders Obtain Valuable Insight and Evidence-Based Practices to support autistic people and sensory processing sensitivities. These classes are ideal for caregivers, parents, grandparents, group home and day program staff, PCAs, and healthcare staff. Classes are free of charge and will be virtually held in February, March, and April. Educational opportunities with the Autism Society of Minnesota <coughs> can be found on their website. When you tap or click on social skills classes, you will find a suggested social narrative about wearing a mask during the COVID-19 pandemic. Celebrate 50 years with a toast to awesome brunch at home fundraiser. Gather your friends and family virtually on February 28th from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m and eat a brunch of your choice and enjoy some interactive entertainment. Register to become an awesome champion and create a fundraising page. Inform, influence, innovative together. This is the title 
of the second collaborative virtual conference organized by the Autism Societies of Minnesota and Greater Wisconsin that will take place April 21st through the 24th, 2021. Go to AUSM.org for more information and to register.